always, it's so good to be with you. How are we doing, church? Good. Andy, good to see you up here lecturing today. Sure appreciate that. And uh, you know what really impresses me, the Father and Son, every, once every week they come to Mass together, weekday Mass, and celebrate Mass together. That's impressive. I also would like to know how you grow all that hair. <laughs> I'm jealous. Well, um, we are now coming to the end of our Eucharistic Revival series, and I hope you have found it to be very meaningful in your faith formation. That's the whole purpose of it. That's the whole purpose of the church, is to form you in your faith so that you can be a child of God. But before we dive into the last topic, I want to address a frequently asked question on the Eucharist, one you've probably asked yourself at one time or the other, and it's this. As a Catholic, what is my obligation on receiving the Eucharist? What is my obligation on receiving the Eucharist? Now, one thing you have to remember, we've already talked about it some, but it's really important. Before Jesus ascended into heaven, he created the church, right? And that's what, and you know, he said, you're Peter, and I'll build my church, you know, on this rock. That's exactly right. And what Jesus did was he entrusted to the church the deposit of faith, the great deposit of faith about Jesus. And he said to the church, go and share it wherever you go. And so what we see is that in this entrustment, the church is obligated because it possesses the great deposit of faith to provide you with what you need, the graces necessary in order to grow in your faith. I think a very simplistic way of looking or thinking about the church's obligation to you, responsibility to you, is sort of like membership benefits. You ever join something, you know, like AAA, you know, and it says, okay, here's all your benefits, we'll come and get you and tow you and all that kind of stuff, you know, that kind of thing. That's, that's exactly right. But on the flip side, though, there's another part to it. And as a member, you, as a member of the fantastic Catholic Church, you have certain obligations and responsibilities to fulfill as well. For example, following the Ten Commandments, participating in liturgy like you're doing here today at the Holy Mass, or receiving the sacraments like you'll do today as you receive the sacrament of the Eucharist. Now, since we've been talking about the Eucharist, I think let's look at that obligation because it is an obligation, and that was the question I posed to you. The church is obligated to provide you with the Eucharist, and here's why. And if you don't get anything else out of the homily today, here's why. To help you grow in your faith, to help you grow, to maintain spiritual vitality. That's why that altar's there. The church is obligated to give you the sacrament of the Eucharist, and your obligation is to receive it. That's your obligation to receive it as well. And um, so to help us more fully understand in the infinite wisdom of the church, how important these, uh, these obligations we have to the church are in order that we can maintain spiritual vitality. Remember that, that's the key to the whole homily today. Spiritual vitality, growing in your faith in God. The church has gone one step further by establishing what's called minimums. Minimums regarding how often we should participate in these sacraments. 
Well, the purpose, once again, I really want to hone it in on this. The purpose of these minimums is to ensure that your faith is practiced in order that you may be spiritually vital, thriving, spiritual thriving, I like to call it. Not getting by on the skin of your teeth, but spiritual thriving in this life. And uh, because as you do these things, here's what happens. They're habit forming. They're habit forming. You got, you, ever, you got good habits, don't you? Well, of course you do. Yeah, and so what they do is you practice them, they create good habits. The other word that we call it is virtues. And then as they become virtues, guess what? Your actions flow out of them. Heart to hand. Heart to hand. And that's the way it works. Now, the church has a, a name for these absolute minimums. They're called positive precepts. I like the fact that they call them positive, don't you? What that means is it's not don't do this, but it's do this. That kind of thing. That's what it means by being positive. Have you ever heard of them, positive precepts? Well, that's interesting. Well, let's go back to the example of the Eucharist and our obligation. The absolute minimum of, or number of times that you're obligated to receive the Eucharist is once a year, and it's during the season of Easter. That's your obligation to do that. Now, you have to remember this. Well, I receive the Eucharist every week. What are you talking about? This is absolute minimums, right? Absolute minimum. Church doesn't say, well, you need to stop there. No, you need to. You need to take advantage. This is the minimum. These are, these are established so that if you want to be spiritually vital in your life, these are the things that you need to do. And because there's only five of them, let me summarize them for you. You probably already know all of them, but let me summarize them for you. When you get home, read them in the catechism. They're, they're, it's coming right out of the catechism. Here's your obligations to the church. Attend Mass on Sundays and Holy Days of Obligation. Receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation at least once a year. Here's the one we just said. Receive the Sacrament of the Eucharist at least during the Easter season. Observe days of fasting and abstinence and provide for the material needs of the church and those who are in need. That's it. It doesn't sound that complicated, does it, <laughs> You know, it's not like, wow, they are really demanding on me, aren't they? Uh, no, it's not demanding, really, when you think about it. Uh, it's not at all. But what it is is this. It's vitally critical to the vitality of your soul, and that's why the church establishes the minimums. If you don't get anything else out of this homily, take that with you. Establishing minimums for the purpose of spiritual vitality We've been told about these, these positive precepts our entire lives, but oftentimes without explanation. And what happens is that opens the door to uh, question the church's motivation as to why we're called to do it. When all you do, you know this in raising children, if, if all you do is tell your kids, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that kind of thing, you know, well, that does, sometimes that doesn't sink in. Now, they, they should accept that because they trust you, but a lot of times they don't want to do it, do they? And so what we have to do is we have to explain why this is important, why these expectations are 
very realistic. Being a pastor, I hear quite often some different, uh, some different motivations people say. Well, they, you know, they, they want me to be obligated to the church for this reason. Let me give you a couple of those reasons. I've heard every one of these and a lot more as well. Some people say that the church places unrealistic obligations and associated consequences on them today in order to make them stay in the church. Really? I didn't know that. You had a lot of stuff I don't know. The older I get, the more I realize that. Well, if that's the case, if the church is trying to make you do something in order to conform, then explain to me this question. Why is it that in today's times, when fast-track Catholics, when they cut themselves loose from the precepts of the church, that they tend to place their faith on the sidelines or toss it out completely? At least that's what the surveys say people do, isn't it? Why is that, you know? Is it possible that uh, these obligations are established for us so that we will remain spiritually vital as opposed to our spiritual vitality being compromised. I want to be spiritually vital. I don't want to just get by in this world. I want to be happy. I want to be what God meant for me to be. I want to be vital. I want to thrive in my faith. And so that's what I do. Others may think sometimes, I've heard this one too, that our obligations to the church is the church's way of coercing people into giving money in order to keep the church afloat. You ever heard that one? Boy, I have. Yeah, you shaking your head over there. You know, really, I didn't know that. Well, another one of those things I didn't know. See, I thought that joining the church, we talked about it last week, was a choice. It's free will. It's not like a shotgun. You ever heard of a shotgun wedding? Huh? You know, that's, a, that's force. <laughs> that's force, isn't it? No, that's not what it is. We don't force anything. It's your freedom. It's an act of the will. You freely choose to do that. And you also agree when you come into the church that for your own well-being, you will meet these minimums, these spiritual minimums. You will agree to that. See, here's what the church really teaches. You know what the church really teaches about why it's important to meet these obligations? It's important because you will attain your number one desire and purpose in life, which is spiritual union with God. That's why we do it. That's why we do Spiritual union, oneness with God. Now, I can I could believe that, you know. But once again, and thankfully so, I have to say that the church doesn't encourage you to receive only the bare bones minimum. These are the minimums. That's all they are to keep your spiritual vitality going. But do more. You know, receive more. Because here's what happens. What was it James that said, if you draw near to God, God will draw near to you? That was, wasn't it? Yeah, you draw near to God. You, you receive the Eucharist. You go to reconciliation when you need. You do these kinds of things, and you will find greater, greater joy in your faith. Life is all about faith. 
It's all about joy. And, uh, you know, thinking about that, uh, think about in Louisville. You live in Louisville, don't you? Most of you do. Uh, and the Eucharist. Any, at least on multiple times during the day, you could go somewhere in Louisville and receive the Eucharist. You don't have to wait until the Easter season, do you? Why is that? Church loves you. Church is obligated to give you those graces in your life. Well, let's go on. Let's push forward to the final short topic, which dovetails perfectly in what we've been discussing this morning. Here's the topic. How does receiving the Eucharist assist us in drawing closer to God? Do you think it does? Yeah, I see you shaking your head up there. See, here's what happens. When we enter into the life of the church, we are literally invited to consume the body, the blood, the soul, and divinity of Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Uh, I like what one saint said. They said, we receive within ourselves a part of God. A part of God. And as such, what God does, he, when we receive him into our lives, he literally pours out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace in your life so that you can be spiritually vital. You can thrive in this life. That's exactly what he does. Uh, reason with me just a minute. You know, if you throw faith out, you don't even consider that. Reason with me about this. Wouldn't you think it would be safe to say that receiving the real presence of Jesus, and we've been talking about the real presence for four weeks. I can see if it's just a symbol, it wouldn't really mean anything. But if we are receiving the real presence, that's, that's Jesus. That's, uh, we call him the king of the universe. <laughs> if we receive that, is it going to have a positive impact in your life do you think it will well absolutely let me put it this way if you don't receive jesus into your life through the power of the eucharist the lord of the universe is that going to have an impact in your life absolutely it's just it's simple reasoning isn't it i mean it's really amazing it's not that complicated isn't it uh, you know, it's going to, the, the Eucharist, receiving Jesus. See, the Eucharist, what it does is this. It's part of that grace. The Eucharist transforms you from within. That's where it has to start. See, your heart, when you receive Jesus, when you receive a part of God into your life, when you receive the king of the universe, your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul are greatly strengthened through the transformative power of Jesus flowing through you. Isn't that neat? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's amazing. I love that. That's why I'm a Catholic. I love how St. Teresa of Lisieux put it. She had a great adoration to the Eucharist. She said, we too are hosts that Jesus wants to change into himself. You ever thought of yourself as being one of those hosts? Jesus wants to change you. He wants to transform you, just like he does just like he does the, the bread and the wine. See, the Eucharist transforms you from within. And then the Eucharist, once that takes place, it transforms you without. Without, meaning through your actions. Uh, 
think of it this way. Jesus said it. I didn't say it. He said that what's in your heart, when your heart is nourished and vitalized by the literal presence of God in your life, it's inevitably, it's not optional, it's inevitably going to show up in your actions. It's going to show up in your actions. I want you to reason with me again. Don't even think about faith right now. Just pure reason. Does this make sense? If your heart is strong in the love of God, is it only natural to expect that your actions are going to produce all kinds of love towards other people? What do you think? If your heart's full of love of God, do you think it's going to be... Well, of course it is. You think if your heart's full of hatred, it's, it's going to, uh, you know, it's, it's the same thing, isn't it? It's the same thing. Your actions are going to be hateful. They're going to be hatred. You ever met a hateful person? Oh, man, they're tough, aren't they? Oh, yeah. Uh, we, don't, we don't want... The, I like what a, a famous person said once. Really, and it, and it really just answers the whole thing, actually. A famous person said once this, love God and love others. That's it. You know who that famous person is, don't you? I tell you, I've got a, a, a wonderful place, a perspective, a viewpoint that a lot of people don't have, that as pastor, I get to see your loving actions flow through the church and into the world. I hear, them, I hear about them all the time, constantly. And I'm excited about that. It encouraged me. See, that's heart-to-hand kind of things, what that is. I want to share one quick shout-out from one of your recent outstanding feats, and then I'm going to challenge you to be extremely incredible in another act of love that comes up this time every year. Here's the shout-out. I'm really proud of you. The uh, Archdiocese, they recently made known to us an important need a need of providing financial resources to, uh, to purchase materials in order to take a house that's owned by the parish and convert it into four apartments for women who are survivors of one of the greatest scourges of humanity. I, thought, I can't think of a greater scourge of humanity than human trafficking. That's the need. It's called St. Anne's Project. You gotta look it up when you go home. And then once that house is renovated, materials and volunteers, then the house will be turned over to Catholic Charities. Well, I went and talked to some of the leaders in the church and the staff about this need, and also to the Finance Council. And because of the fact that you have been generous in your stewardship, that's positive precept number five. Because you have been faithful in your stewardship, it was agreed that we would give $50,000 towards this effort. You did that. Can you think of anything greater than transforming the life of somebody that lives in human slavery and bondage? You did that. Well, I received this letter. Yes, it's wonderful, isn't it? I just received this letter two days ago. Here's a couple snippets, and it's addressed to you, not me. 
Thank you so much for your generous donation of $50,000 to support St. Anne's Project. Every penny will go towards renovating the home in order to house survivors of human trafficking. Your gift will be life-changing as these victims will now have access to safe and stable housing, which will allow them to focus on their path to healing. Hats off to you, St. Albert the Great. See, that's the power of the Eucharist. You, you can perform extraordinary, un, unbelievable feats when the power of the Eucharist is flowing through your veins. Now, here's the extraordinary challenge now that faces before you, and it has to do with our Catholic Services Appeal. This is the time of the year when we do that. Every year, they keep raising it, the goal. People complain about that. Why they do that, you know? I think it's great. I love it. I love it. Uh, our goal this year is $137,200. That's quite a bit of money, wouldn't you think? And uh, in, in, in the next day or so, you're going to receive a letter. I'm going to make a prophecy. <laughs> in the next day or two, when you go to your mailbox, you're going to get a letter from Archbishop Bob. See if Father Dave is not a prophet now. <laughs> and in that letter, he's going to appeal for your generosity to the Catholic Services Appeal. Let me say this about Catholic Services Appeal. It impacts the lives of literally thousands of people in a myriad of ways, all the way from the Ohio River down to the Tennessee border. Thousands of people, you know? And I'll be honest with you, I, I, you know, this, this, this series on the Eucharist has really moved me. And as I, and as, uh, you know, we saw the priests get their letter first, uh, you know, I've reflected deeply on it now. You know, I'm gonna double my gift this year. I'm gonna double my gift this year. Why would you do such a thing? You got, don't you, can't you think of something you'd rather spend that money on? Something for yourself, go buy something for yourself. Well, yeah, I could see that. But what I've realized is this. When you receive the Eucharist, you are fueled on love. When you receive the Eucharist, you live on love. When you receive the Eucharist, you are empowered by love. Love is everything. It's everything. So I close with a quote from one of my favorite Frenchmen and saints, St. Francis de Sales. Now I came across this while I was reading his homily in preparation for this series. I went back and read all his homilies that he preached 400 years ago. And you know they're still as relevant as they were 400 years ago. That's pretty interesting. Our faith doesn't change, does it? Listen to what he said. Open your eyes, O Christians, See the beautiful truth of the Eucharist as the one truth that is desired more than any other truth in the church. Do you believe it? God bless all of you and viva la Jesus. Now let us stand.